Oh, me, I'm so dreadfully depressed. I could tell something was missing from your usual cheerful demeanor, Captain. Did you see that pasty, fat, worthless lout Peter Pan earlier today? Couldn't fight? Couldn't fly? Couldn't crow? No, he just clucked like a big chicken. This battle with Pan was supposed to be my crowning achievement, but I can tell it's going to be as one-sided as the 1992 U.S. Olympic basketball team playing anyone else. But, but Captain, it's 1991. That hasn't even happened yet. Oh, like anyone would have noticed that if you hadn't pointed it out. No, robbed of my grand finale, my life is now completely, utterly devoid of meaning. I've decided this is the end, Smee. I'm going to take my own life now. Goodbye, Smee. Why aren't you stopping me, Smee? Well, uh, you gotta do what you gotta do, Captain. What? I mean, if your mind's made up to blow your brains out the back of your wig, then I support you in that decision. Notes me, we've done this all before. I pull out the gun, you stop me. Well, Captain, those endless repetitions have gotten me to thinking. Oh, God. And so I think to myself, Smee, who do you think stands to gain all of this should something happen to the Captain? Who's next in line to wear the hook, as it were? Do you know who it is, Captain? It's me, Captain. I see, Smee. So it's mutiny, then. Tain a mutiny if you suicide yourself, sir. It's a natural succession. I dare say, Smee. I didn't see that coming. Bravo. Okay, Captain. You know, that little pistol of yours may not be enough to do the trick. If I was you, I'd probably just take a walk in front of the long nines during gunner's practice. I can see you're eager to get this natural succession then. So, do you really think you're ready to wear the hook, Smee? Absolutely, Captain. Well then, by all means, let's make space for it above your wrist. Oh, wait. Wait, Captain. Friend, that's not what I... Ow! Oh. My hand! My goddamn hand! You know what, Smee? That felt good, real oh. good. Thank you. That was oh. the catharsis oh. I needed to make all my cares oh. and worries just sort of oh, melt my away. my fucking hand! That was my favorite one, you bastard! Yes, I feel like a new man, Smee. I think I have the strength to carry on and see this film's plot through to the end. Come at me, Peter Pan. Oh, Come at me with everything you've got. Ugh... Uh, glad to see you're back in good spirits, Captain. So, uh, you think I might actually have a hook of some sort for this bloody stump of mine? Yes, yes, I think there's some damn silly thing around here with a baseball glove on the end of it. In a world where the human race has nearly unlimited access to all forms of media... Mankind faces its greatest enemy. I've come for vengeance. A looming threat. Can you look at that? What is that? A paralyzing choice. You have eight choices. Choose incorrectly, 
and I cannot be held responsible for your suffering. Is the next movie in my queue good or bad? Hey, do you guys want to watch Geely? A war that threatens our very existence. We have come to take over your world. And it will be fought over. Cows. Uh, one podcast dares to make sense of it all. So you don't have to. This is the Sacred Cows Podcast. And now welcome your hosts. Hey everyone, it's Pete. Hi, I'm Mike. Here's Matthew. Thanks, Thanks disembodied, disembodied voice guy. guy. Hey, disembodied voice guy. Yes, Matthew? Tell us a story about how you became a disembodied voice again. Um, you always tell me to say that story to you. Aren't you sick of hearing it? No way, I could hear it a thousand times. Well, I'm sick of telling it. Probably because he's running out of embellishments to add. Remember the first time he told it, it was one chariot. Last time he told it, it was the entire Assyrian cavalry. I do not embellish my stories. And remember how originally he was just running hunting knives for the White House Chief of Staff in Alabama? Shut up. That's ridiculous. Come on, tell us how you became disembodied voice guy. Why don't I just show you, personally? You know what, actually, I've heard that story enough. He would have just changed it again. I would not! Welcome to the Sacred Cows Podcast, the podcast where we talk about movies. And I've got with me our usual suspects, Pete. Yo. And Matthew. Hey, everybody. It's 1991 in this movie, so I thought I'd say yo. Yo. (laughs) Yo. Word up. Uh, Bangarang. (laughs) <laughs> Bangarang. I remember when that became super popular after this movie came out. <laughs> Ooh, is that that alternate timeline that you live in? Because I don't remember that. <laughs> uh, clear, clearly, you didn't grow the, 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 the streets like, uh, like I did. Ah, <laughs> uh, you're right. No, no. All right, so today we're going to talk about the 1991 movie, Hook, which stars Robin Williams, Dustin Hoffman, Julia Roberts, Uh, and is directed by Steven Spielberg. Uh, But before we do that, uh, we'd like to talk a little bit about the podcast format. So if this is your first time listening to us, what we do is we talk about movies that are at least 10 years old or older, uh, that at least one of us has watched, and that we have a particular nostalgia for. And then we take it and we decide if it is a movie that is sacred or if it should be put out to pasture. That about sums it up. I couldn't have said it better myself. Great. <laughs> and if you aren't, if you haven't heard any of our other episodes, I mean, I don't know. You may as well start with this one. I mean, you know, we're all here. This is basically the format. So, sure. Why not start with this? Although, go back and watch Spaceballs. Really, episode one. Go on. All the way back to the beginning. And we all might be a little bit rusty. We just came off of a couple of big Star Wars episodes. So, uh, you know, excuse us as we. Uh, Get back into form. Mm-hmm. I'm excusing myself. There's there's no excuse for you. Mm, well, some would say it's really a subjective viewpoint. All right, so why don't we get right into the history of the 1991 film Hook? Well, well before we do that, uh, there were a couple, Mike, if I may, a few omissions of your cast list that I feel are uh, some real standouts in this <laughs> cast to round it out. Uh, of course, the always lovely Maggie Smith uh, playing Wendy, 
looking kind of young is that mm-hmm. weird to say but uh this would have been yeah. right around <laughs> the yeah i mean she you know compared to her her you know mcgonagall days or whatever but mm-hmm. uh yeah for sure also the talented bob hoskins certainly the late great i should say um i don't know how they convinced him to get into this movie I don't know, but he does it really well. I really didn't know it was him until, you know, later. Yeah, he really plays it up. For sure, for That's sure. That's me. Um, oh, and also that kid from Can't Hardly Wait. Let me, you know, come on, right? <laughs> <laughs> Anybody remember? even remember Can't Hardly Wait? No? The no. kid looks exactly the same when he's like 18. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> so so that, that kind of rounds out the, que- the, the cast there. All right, apologies to all of those actors and actresses I forgot. Oh, there's a lot of there are a lot of good cameos in there too, but we'll probably get into that later. For sure. Oh, and I thought that was Emma Thompson playing their mother. Wasn't. Just a look alike. An Emma Thompson clone. All right, we can go on and talk about the history now. All right, great. Let's do that. So Spielberg had been trying to develop a Peter Pan movie since the early 80s, and he was originally doing this, uh, kind of connected to this project for Disney. Now there were, of course, some clashes of personality and, you know, corporate personality, as always happens when, you know, a bunch of big entities get together to work on a project together. Um, But I believe that... Spielberg's jumping off point for this was the idea that uh, who is the original author's name? J.M. Barry, I think. Yep. Yep. He uh, had yes. he had originally intended that there be a continuation to the Peter Pan story that would have been after the I, I think including when Peter Pan had grown up to some extent, which is kind of how how Spielberg uh, decided to approach this project. I mean, it was interesting that initially when Spielberg was looking at it, it was going to be tied in with uh, Michael Jackson. As Mike, play, playing Jackson. the lead role, Michael Jackson. Uh, well, you know, he did. He was apparently interested in, except for the idea that Peter Pan had forgotten about his past and you know had to grow up, which is kind of interesting given Michael Jackson. Right. He he wouldn't have stood for such a thing. I'm pretty sure. Um, but that that makes sense because I had heard uh, at one point that this movie was intended to be a musical, actually. And John Williams even kind of wrote his score based on that premise. The parts that were intended for the, the musical part still came through in the various themes of the music that did end up in the movie. So, I don't know. It is what it is. When you get Spielberg and Williams together, you're going to have something good. Matthew, I heard you comment a little earlier that there were a ton of cameos in this movie. There are a lot of cameos in this movie. So you have David Crosby, Jimmy Buffett, Phil Collins. I thought Glenn that Close, was David George Crosby. George Lucas, yep, Carrie was... Fisher. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, you're right, David. I... They're part now... of the pirate crew. I remember huh. Phil Collins. And Phil clearly. Collins is the uh, the inspector at the beginning. Yep. After the sure. kids go missing. Sure, sure. And and uh, oh. Glenn Close is the pirate that gets put in the boo box. Okay. The boo box. They, yeah, they, they put her all in Ben's clothing and put a beard on her and uh, then no uh, let her get stung by scorpions kidding. in a box. Yep. That's awesome. That is really, really awesome. I knew nothing about any of that. Oh, and uh, Gwyn- Gwyneth Paltrow is also in the movie as the young Wendy before she was really in anything. I think this was her second movie. Yeah, That's yeah. right. That's right. That, that was uh, Gwyneth Paltrow and then all of a sudden... 
from one scene to the next, she makes the abrupt transition to Maggie Smith, probably, you know, 50, <laughs> 60 years earlier. I thought thought maybe they could have yeah. used some transitional steps in there. but Well, they, they just showed the do? back of her head on, uh, a couple of different times when Peter came, and then she couldn't come anymore. But anyway, let's get into the movie, though. It is. It really yep. is. Um, but as long as we're talking about um, actors and actresses, one thing that I did note uh, from a little bit of research was that, yes, Carrie Fisher was... Uh, in the movie, but I thought she had only been brought in to write Tinkerbell's lines, which is true. She she was brought on yep. in that capacity, but then they figured, eh, we got Carrie Fisher here, we'll point a camera at her. I think one of the other things that was interesting is Dustin Hoffman's kids are all in the movie in various roles. No kidding. Jeez. You guys yeah. noticed so much that I didn't notice. All I noticed about Dustin Hoffman is that he looks just like Donald Sutherland and he has an awesome mustache. <laughs> And yeah, I'm looking to the uh, prosthetic nose, but it looked yes. like one. He's got handlebar eyebrows, and that's saying something. <laughs> Talking about the history, uh, we also know that the, you know this this was a big hit. I mean, it had a budget of seventy million, which was you know quite a lot. And you know, there's you know look at the sets and everything on this. You can tell there was a ton of care put into it. There was a full size pirate ship built. They talk about that. Um, you know, in some different things I read. Uh, it's spread across multiple stages because they had to build like the whole Lost Boys like yep. forest compound and things like that. Right. And just the amount of just uh, you know work that must have went into this uh, for the set building guys is just uh, astounding. Financially, yeah, it cost a lot of money, of course, to produce, and it generated what was the revenue? Three hundred million, mm-hmm. almost three hundred one million dollars worldwide. Yeah. Right. Uh, but at the same time, the studio didn't really consider it a financial success because that same year, Disney had also put out Beauty and the Beast, which was significantly more lucrative for them. And cheaper to make, I'm sure. That that was the age before every cartoon was voiced by a whole cast of really expensive actors, certainly. But uh, you could tell there was some money behind this movie, and I think that they really lovingly crafted the uh scenes and environments and locations that they built you know you can you can have a ton of money and just throw it into a big pit and burn it basically but uh i think they made the most of their dollars uh with this movie they, they did a really good job uh world building basically a lot of set pieces a lot of cast members uh not just the big names but huge huge cast especially for uh, towards the end of the movie in the pirate city Oh, for sure. They were paying extras left and right, and up and down, and sideways and stuff. All right. Anybody else have anything you want to throw in the history section, or should we move on? I want to know what part in Julia Roberts' career this was, like how early, because this doesn't usually seem like her usual part, honestly. it. I mean, it's 1991, so that's like, what, one year after Pretty Women, or Woman, or whatever it was called? Uh, yes, what, it, it is exactly one year after that. So and that's what one of one of her first big roles, right? So maybe she's still finding herself yep. as a Academy Award winning actress at this point. But I don't know. It's uh, it doesn't seem like a typical part for her. After Steel Magnolias, after Pretty Women, before Pelican Brief, and yeah, I don't know. I was looking at this role and I was like, geez, you know, this is the kind of part that they'd give to Anne Hathaway nowadays. But you wouldn't think of Julia Roberts necessary. But hey, whatever. They were just throwing as many big names in as they could at the time. I think, I mean, come on, Robin Williams, Dustin Hoffman, Julia Roberts. It didn't get too much bigger than that in the 90s, I think. Apparently for the role of Hook, they had also looked at, uh, before they signed on Dustin Hoffman, they had uh, 
they were trying to get David Bowie to do it. Yeah, um, I, I read that too. You know, post post labyrinth Bowie. That would have been pretty sweet. Would have been very different. It would have been a completely different movie. <laughs> it would have been a different movie, but well, you know, I guess maybe they made the right decision for them. I think I think that Hook was very well cast, so I, I won't complain. Why don't we move on to the um, the history that each of us has with the movie? So let's start with Matthew. What is your history with this movie? Had you seen it before? You always start with Matthew. I definitely uh, remember seeing this movie as a kid. Uh, I was a spry young lad of five when this came out, so I was probably right in the target demographic for it. I don't really remember. I remember liking it as a kid, and I remember there being, you know, some some merchandising involved with it. But it's really been a long time since I've seen it. I definitely don't think I've seen it since I was a kid. Okay, what about you, Pete? Well, I was a strapping young lad of eight when this sucker came out, which means I probably didn't see it till I was ten. But I have seen this movie, unlike some movies, and I I remember seeing it maybe uh, at least a few times, so it wasn't just a one-and-done thing. It was probably the TV edit, like most things I've watched in my life. Um, I don't think we owned this one or anything. I probably saw it at a birthday party or something. But um, I remember it being good, not great. Uh, I may have liked the incredibly racist 1950s version of Peter Pan, the cartoon, better. (laughs) But, right, you know, it... um, It's got to be one of the best Peter Pan movies out there. I mean, it seems like many have tried. You know, Hollywood keeps continually trying to bring it back to life, and I haven't seen any of those uh, subsequent attempts, but you never hear good things about them. So whatever they did with this one must have been magic. So I was waiting to see if this time watching it, it would still be magic. This is the last, like, successful uh, pan movie that's come out, because there's been... Yeah, there was a pan movie this year that just bombed. I almost want to say. Yeah. There was oh, a that Finding Neverland movie with Johnny Depp, and, you know, yep. they try every once in a while. They try. Uh, hey, Pete, you were born in 1981, weren't you? 1982. So anything that happened in 1990, I was eight years old for it. This is 91, dude. Damn it, I was nine. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make me do math. I had it in my head that it was 1990. All right. Well, okay, Mr. Correctness, uh, what is your experience with this fine 1991 masterpiece? Well, I would have been 10, because I know when my birthday is. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) And (laughs) Sorry. I don't remember seeing it in theaters, but I do remember that um, everybody had uh, loved it so much that people are just like, yeah, you don't even need to rent this movie. You, you just should buy it. So my, uh, my mom or dad, one of the two, bought it. And I remember us having that on VHS. And I, I watched the heck out of it. We always watched the 1950s you know, Disney version with racist overtones, undertones, whatever. <laughs> um, All sorts of tones. Yeah, we watched that first. <laughs> and, then, and then like in, our, in my brain, Hook has always been the sequel to that because the way that Dustin Hoffman's uh, Captain Hook is designed is to look like that cartoon Captain Hook from Disney movie. I totally see it. I, I just kind of thought it was. I mean, the 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 bright red coat, the way that the hair lies, the the same mustache, and yeah, it just it just kind of felt like that to me. It's like watch one, then the other. So why don't we talk about any baggage that uh, any of us have brought in? I'll I'll go first on this one. I don't really have any baggage. I think I almost have, like, inverse baggage, uh, being that I had loved it so much when I was younger. So 
I think I have super high expectations. That's my baggage. What about you, Pete? Well, you know what? That translates to extra baggage for me. So I thought I remembered this movie being really great. And, you know, I'll be the first to tell you and I will maintain always that I was a total dumbass as a kid. So things that that guy liked (laughs) got to suck now, right? Like I wasn't expecting this to be anything, basically, like, you know, some cloying garbage that would keep a kid happy for a little while. But all adults everywhere would groan in unison. So, I mean, I didn't think it was necessarily going to go down like that, but it's always a possibility. So I was on the lookout big time. Matthew, what do you think? Uh, I was going to say, I don't really have any baggage with the film. I I would say when I watched as a kid, I didn't really know much about, like, the actors or anything. So looking at the cast list before this viewing kind of set a standard for what I was expecting out of each of the actors, certainly, you know, Robin Williams, Dustin Hoffman, I guess Julia Roberts, too, but Bob Hoskins, you know. Yeah, that's right. Half the cast is dead now, so that's kind of something you're looking for. Oof. Not Dustin Hoffman or Julia Roberts, though. No, not them. <laughs> not those two. What about all of your recent viewing experiences? How was that? Well, I'll take this one first, uh, since you guys got your turn. I didn't feel like it was all that different than probably the last time I watched it, which was over 20 years ago, almost certainly. Uh, I seem to have remembered a lot of what I had seen, so it was kind of like revisiting an old, you know, trip down memory lane. I did... I will admit that I may not have had the best attitude after seeing the status bar report that it was almost two and a half hours long. (laughs) And, you know, you got to crank these things out before the show starts airing. So it's like, oh, my God, two and a half hours. I mean, that feels long, doesn't it? Anyway, I got up at the crack of dawn, tried to watch it before my family came downstairs uh, and and I got most of the way there, but then my son started saying he wanted to switch to Thomas the Train, so I got some not-so-good notes after that. How about you guys? Matt, what, Matthew, what, what's, uh, what's up with this viewing with you? Um, so I, I didn't do a straight-through viewing. I actually split it up into two parts. Uh, I watched the first about 35 minutes uh, actually at an airport, and then uh, I finished it up today. Uh, but like you said, it... Once I realized how long the movie was, it just kind of, I don't know, I, I felt like I kept checking to see throughout the movie how far we were actually into it, or I was into it. <laughs> yeah, I remembered a lot of it, too. There were some things that, when they happened, I think certainly had a different appreciation for or not as an adult compared to when I was a wee, a wee, wee lad. <laughs> Mike, what do you think? How did it go? I had uh, a, a back injury, and I'm not going to elaborate much further on that. Um, but so I ended up watching it in, in two parts as well, uh, with the assistance of pain medication. <laughs> I was hoping you would disclose that, Mike. That's very brave of you. But uh, I, I watched half of it uh, last night and uh, half of it today, and you know I wasn't really uh, interrupted or anything. It was a it was a good viewing as far as that goes. Uh, there was a lot of it that I did remember, like Matt said. There's a lot of it that uh, that I was like, what? That was this movie? You know? So I think <laughs> we'll get into all that when we get to the super spoilers section. No doubt. No doubt. Okay. Well, with that, uh, let's get right to that spoilers section then. All right. So this is the part of the uh, episode where we actually spoil the crap out of it. So if you haven't seen the movie yet and you want to go see it, uh, stop the episode here and pick it up afterwards. 
Uh, or if you just don't mind if uh, you get spoiled for you, then you can just keep listening. All right, uh, so who's got an elevator pitch for this? Uh, I think I could probably handle that task today. All right, Pete. So Peter Banning, knee pan, is a high-powered corporate lawyer with a promising career ahead of him as long as he doesn't let spending time with the wife and kids get in the way, which he doesn't. But as just mentioned the guy's actually peter pan all grown up it's a fact that he slowly rediscovers after his kids are abducted by captain hook as bait to get peter to come back to neverland and finish their eternal battle royale once and for all but of course peter doesn't remember any of this because he has the best memory repression mechanism of any human brain ever and he needs the lost boys and tinkerbell to get him back into fighting shape he eventually gets there remembers who he is as the pan and faces off against Hook in order to salvage his children's affections for him, and Peter's prepared to let Hook live at the end, but instead he gets eaten by a taxidermized crocodile, and they all go home, and everything's fine. Nice. And there's a cell phone from 1991 that somehow has enough battery power to last through the night. That's the pitch. (laughs) They don't make them like they used to. No, thank God they don't. All right, that was pretty good. You think they'll buy it? Yeah. Totally. I want to talk about something that we sort of uh, talked about before we started recording, uh, and that's Rufio. Rufio. Guys, Rufio's hair. Rufio. Man, he is like the epitome of 90s cool. He likes skateboards. He's got a a triple mohawk. He's shown a little (laughs) bit of midriff. And uh, he he swears like you would imagine a PG uh, punk kid would. Yeah, he's the coolest thing this side of the Bartman. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> <laughs> Which is uh, so sad for him. I'm sorry, Rufio. Yikes. I don't know if you're supposed to hate him, laugh at him, or or what, but I, I found everything he did endlessly fascinating. You're supposed to think he's cool. I mean, he, he starts off as your typical, like, TMNT Foot Clan punk kid, you know, skateboarding around, acting like a general little shit, basically. But, um, you know, he he has a character of his own, and you can, you know, tell he's at least allied with the good guys, if not a good guy at heart. And he really turns out to be very valuable to the good guys. He's, he's led them in Peter's absence, you know? Yeah, I Absolutely. feel like when Peter leaves and uh, Thud is in charge that uh, they've lost something since, spoilers, Rufio is, is no more. Brutally murdered. What? I'll bet he just got up and walked away. This is a kid's movie, goddammit. <laughs> well, there's a surprising amount of death in this kid's movie. <laughs> well, and they talk Absolutely. about it constantly. People getting stabbed by scorpions, getting shot. There's child abduction. There's almost marital infidelity. And, geez, it's, that, uh, it's got some adult themes. <laughs> right. And it's not just the bad guys. I mean, one of the first things, keeping with Rufio and the Lost Boys, I mean, the first thing he tells them is that they love to kill them some pirates. They love to yeah, murder those pirates. Right. And, uh it seems to me like they might be pretty good at it. I mean, it's it's kind of like the main f- faction rivalry on the island and that kind of thing. Smee does uh, bring up the idea of killing engines to, to raise Captain Hook's spirits. Oh, God. He does do which, that. Which uh, was kind of an homage to the, uh, the animated film from, what was it, 1953? Yeah, right. Yeah. The, and um, probably the original story. 
the Indians, as it were, were uh, prop. I would say, thankfully, absent from this film due to the fact that that's it's one of those uh, animated moments from that 1950s version that frequently makes the you know top ten most racist things ever uh, list. <laughs> yep. And I really, I hate to say that, but I really love that song that they did in that movie as a kid. Yeah, I know, right? And I'm not going <laughs> to sing it, even though it's a really catchy damn song. But yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, it, it, it has its place, but uh, seen by kids, especially during the extremely politically correct 90s, I, I see why they cut it. Oh, and certainly that's probably the most uh, ethnically diverse group of Lost Boys you've ever seen. Oh, for sure. That is pretty awesome. Actually, yeah, my my wife said uh, first Asian hero in a movie outside of Hong Kong ever, probably, you know, Rufio. Rufio. <laughs> well, and I mean, that, that if you think about it, you know, that part stayed really true to the the book. You know, really, the, the Lost Boys got there because they're uh, kids who uh, wanted to run away, you know, and they could come from anywhere. Darn right. Kids who just wanted to go on adventures and have fun and play all the time. Right. Right. It, was, it wasn't just East Side of London all the time. Again, going back to the Rufio character, we think of him as a punkish badass, but um, it's no secret that he cannot remain the leader of the Lost Boys forever, especially with Peter Pan around. He shows a surprising amount of maturity for a... Okay, Rufio, when I was a kid, Rufio looked like an adult to me, right? He was an older yeah, kid, and it was like, this guy. this guy's got to be like 25 or something like that. Uh, seeing him now, he's clearly a tween of some of some variety, a, a, maybe a thirteen or a fourteen year old, something like that. Yeah. Um, but but he shows a lot of maturity in that. Once it looks as though Peter Pan is back on form, you know, as Peter Pan, uh, as heralded by Robin Williams, uh, somewhat unmagically donning a pair of tights, uh, he <laughs> gives it up. He says, I'm not going to be, I'm not the leader anymore. Uh, You're the band And I'm now. going to wholeheartedly put all of my influence at your disposal, basically. Yeah, he, he's pretty willing to acquiesce. Yeah, right. I mean, Peter had already earned all of their respect at, at that point, except for his. But in some ways, his was the only one that really counted because he was the muscle. It's kind of like the whole, um, the, the older brother syndrome. You know, he's the older brother. Um, and he's not going to let anybody screw around, you know, mess with his his brothers. Right, but but Dad kind of showed up, you know. But he wasn't sure that Dad was any good. No, he thought it was he thought it was a dipshit. Those Lost Boys think that any adult is a, you know, untrustworthy. You know, don't trust anyone over twenty, man. <laughs> and really, they uh, they're so willing to dismiss uh, Tinkerbell when she's saying like, "Oh yeah, this is the real Pan, absolutely." Uh, just because he just seems so out of place and really is uh, until he rediscovers himself. Strange that they would do that because Tinkerbell seems to have a lot of influence over a lot of people in Neverland, but, eh, you know, boys will be boys, right? Peter Pan, uh, Peter Banning, um, Robin Williams' uh, playing of him is, is, is really good. I mean, it. He Peter Banning isn't so doing himself any favors in the way that he's treating uh, the whole situation. You know, no, he's acting like a he's acting like a corporate lawyer, you know, all, uh, you know, pomp and circumstance or whatever. But, you know, he's he's doing what would make him accepted in a an adult circle. Certainly not what would, you know, a bunch of 
make a bunch of little hoodlums uh, come into his camp, basically. I mean, he's a total square, let's face it. Peter Banning couldn't be less like Peter Pan. Anyway, uh, Matthew, you, you had something to uh, interject. I yeah, think. I was gonna I was gonna go and say that with the the whole how how long was he actually Peter Pan in Neverland before he became corporate lawyer man or all he became a a real boy so to speak. Well, I mean, I'm, there's no actual time given in the movie, but the the look of it is that he was probably born in um, Victoria era London. Yeah, it, it kind of yeah. looks like that. So I don't know. He must have been there for a while. And then the whole, oh, yeah, he forgot who he was just kind of seems weird because he literally had, you know, maybe 20, 20, 30 years there before he, well, I guess I guess in the timeline of the movie, he was there even longer. Just before he met Wendy, it would have been 20 or 30 years. And then after that, another 40 years. It's really hard to tell because the passage of time in Neverland is um, a little nebulous, I think. I mean, Peter Pan came to Neverland as an infant, and yet somehow he continued to grow probably at a slower rate, but uh, to eventually get to that, what was he, maybe 10 or whatever, or 12 when he decided to leave? And I'm not exactly sure how that happened. It's never really explained. There was something I he was reading. He saw Wendy's granddaughter, and all of a sudden, he hit puberty right there on the spot. <laughs> well, he's like, right. screw giving her a thimble. I'm giving her a real kiss. Right, but I guess my point is, why wasn't he still one year old when uh, when that rolled around? Like, how come he was getting older? I thought the premise was that you never grow up in Neverland, but it seems like right. even if time moves at like one-tenth the pace that it does here, eventually you get old, you know? Right, and you'd think that Captain Hook would have been aging in all of his crew. There was something about like the passage of t- time is, is random in Neverland, and that was kind of the excuse that I was in. I don't remember something when I was looking at uh, things about this movie. You just wake up one day and you're like, ah, oh, crap, I gotta start shaving. And I was six yesterday. Speaking of shaving, did you know they? Did you notice that they had to shave Robin Williams's like chest and arms for the uh, for some of the scenes? That's no surprise. I I mean, dude, his 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 pantyhose stuck out from his leg a good half an inch. You know, I mean, that dude's got a lot of hair. I think that's been used to some effect in a bunch of other movies he's been in. <laughs> Undoubtedly, Jumanji. Yes, exactly. The beard's real, yo. <laughs> yep took but, me five um, weeks to grow it so yeah it, it, it is pretty interesting um, the, the whole uh, aging thing you know Toodles which was one of the original Lost Boys that uh, is basically like a I don't know he looked like he was 70 or 80 I figured he was as old as um, Wendy was he as old as Wendy I, 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 that's kind of the feeling I got because you know the idea that he's kind of got dementia setting on you know losses marbles and all that I, i'm happy that he gets a happy ending though it's it's one of this movie's many touching moments at the end of the movie there were a lot of touching moments and i uh i might have uh got a little misty-eyed there some of it i felt like this movie was a bit of a tearjerker from a you know just pure tenderness perspective pretty much all the way through its running length including the beginning you know, I mean, there's the whole uh, celebratory dinner for the ch- the orphans hospital. There's just mm-hmm. uh, all of the interactions with um, 
Peter and the Lost Boys, I mean, they seemed like they were designed basically to be just like, oh, moments and that kind of thing. Well, even even just him interacting with his kids in the first part of the movie, you know, it's not, I wouldn't necessarily call it a tearjerker from a sentimental standpoint, but the idea of, you know, dad's too busy to go to your baseball game or, you know, sends a proxy uh, to go right. and film it for you. And before- you know, that, that has a lot of that feelings as well. Yeah, yeah, and as a kid, that was a heartbreaker from a you know a kid's perspective. But now, like from a dad's perspective, it, it's maybe even a little bit more heart wrenching, especially when um, his wife Moira gives the speech about you know your kids are only going to want you to be a part of their lives for so long, and someday they won't you know they won't want you to come to your baseball games, and you know it's just like oh, I'm gonna cry. Ugh. Yeah. My son is 13 years away from thinking I'm uncool. <laughs> Wait a minute. He thinks I'm uncool now. Okay, it's par. Sorry, so. Pete. You lost it. It's over. <laughs> yeah. Nope. Yeah. Lost it when he was six months old. Um, <laughs> but no, I agree. This, this movie had uh, just a ton of heart, touching tenderness. Day, yeah. it, it, was, it was a very touching movie, I have to say. Um, in ways that I probably did not notice as a kid. Um, it, it's interesting you bring that up because one of the things we didn't talk about earlier on in the movie is some of the inspiration, not just the uh, the original book itself, uh, for Steven Spielberg with this was his interactions with his kids as they were growing up in the 80s and, and I guess into the early 90s when he the movie was finished and came out. Mm-hmm. But that the whole discussion with you know, his kids and growing up and him always be being busy, you know, filming and stuff. And he can't necessarily drag them out all the time to the sets. Busiest man in Hollywood for two decades. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. A little bit of background there. Um, Also, I mean, Spielberg brought a lot of his experience to this movie. And I think it's stated that a lot of his uh, personality was uh, projected onto Peter Banning. That'd be Robin Williams' character, Peter Pan. His fear of flying. I mean, well, first of all, Peter Banning is Peter Pan. Couldn't be less like Peter Pan. He grew up hard. He grew up hard, man. Like, this guy is no nonsense with his family at all. He's afraid of flying. Uh, which he used to be his M.O., basically. He, uh, it's kind he's of a, a funny coward. moment. Yeah, he's right. He's a coward. A, he, a ph- physically a coward, but you do right, see some of the lawyer the professional come out. Realm, not, you know, not as much. Yeah. He's a lawyer, he's a lawyer uh, that basically brokers hostile corporate takeovers, and Wendy accuses him at one point of having become a pirate, basically, which is funny. Yes. <laughs> exactly. The cor- corporate Oh, my God, I forgot about that. Right, she's like, oh, it seems you've become a pirate, and he's just like, yeah, whatever, I guess, and it's like, um, yeah. Uh, The most interesting (laughs) thing about Peter, I think, is, well, he's also afraid of open windows, because that's the the launch pad to Neverland always, but he can, man, this man can repress some stuff. He can repress everything about the past. He can even repress things that are happening to him in real time, like when he... When Tinkerbell arrives, he's just like, you know, in typical movie fashion, he's just like, oh, you must be a giant firefly, or a bit of mustard, an undigested piece of pork, and a, you know, just like hallucination brought on by his nervous breakdown. That's very that Shakespearean, exactly. <laughs> when you think about it. Right. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's pulling a full Ebenezer Scrooge here with, uh, you know, ghosts and stuff, but even when he's in the pirate town... Psychoanalyzing himself on the fly. 
Right, yeah, he's just like, well, I've had it. I need to take a vacation. Um, <laughs> his, uh, he, even when he's in the pirate town at the very beginning, he can't process it. He's just like, this doesn't make any sense. He's like walking oh, around saying surreal. like... Yeah, he's like, is there a payphone? Uh, can I get in touch with, you know, my lawyer here? It's like, no, no, uh, Someone asshole. says something about his shoes. It's like, oh, I'm pretty sure you can pick them up at Armani. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, dude. It's pirates, And then pulls out, pulls out his his checkbook to, uh, to try and sign, like, a ransom check for his kids. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's yeah. his weapon. He's like, <laughs> yeah. I how forgot, much? How oh. much do you want? I can Dry buy you off. I can buy you wholesale. <laughs> um, oh, right. Um, and th- but that's that's just Peter Pan, uh, basically in a nutshell in this movie. And of course, he gets better as time goes on, and that means he takes his glasses off because in movies, uh, glasses are just there to make you look nerdy and weak and uncool. I mean, they don't like improve your eyesight or anything. So once he starts right. to get, you know, more. Peter Pan like and all that stuff he just throws his glasses away because he didn't need that for corrective you know vision or anything like that there there's kind of something I I really wanted to talk about in this movie and that was like the weird sexual tension between Tinkerbell and Peter Pan yes that was something that as an adult oh yeah as an adult like that was glaring which as a kid maybe not so much Okay, there is some te- sexual tension in this movie, but you you talk about the Tinkerbell thing first. There's lots yeah. of sexual tension so in this movie. <laughs> he he finally comes back to being Peter Pan. He he's put on the outfit. He's learned to fly again and crow and all that. And so he goes to Tinkerbell's. I guess he calls it an apartment, but it's more like a birdhouse. And it's more like a she's booty put call. On, or, I take I take it back. She's already put on the dress, and he calls her beautiful. And I don't know how she does it, but she manages to like transform herself into a full sized adult. And like clearly, she's trying to impress him. And is she just just big kiss on the lips, everything, the whole "I love you" or whatever? And it was really awkward to watch as an mm-hmm. adult because you're like, damn, he's already kissed some mermaids earlier, and you know she's she's just really laying it on thick and now he's like a man child and that's right. when she's trying to take advantage of him <laughs> right yeah not when he's acting like a fully grown a consenting adult but when he can't remember being an adult and he's like 12 again yeah well fairies you know they should all be on a watch list um <laughs> and I, I, re- I, I, the really uh the really awkward sexual tension that i noticed was between Robin Williams and Maggie Smith because you'll remember that yes, Wenda, that the Wendy Wendy was kind of had the hots for Peter Pan uh you know historically and so when she starts moving in on him you know he's you know kind of coming on to him a little bit and that kind of thing and he's just like grandma like the woman he's thought of as grandma his whole life is just kind of like right. coming in for the swooping in for the kiss it's like what and, and then <laughs> just how awkward it is when he goes back that last time and she says that she's too old and she's got children and her children have children and he like looks at his her granddaughter and he's like i want some of that it's just <laughs> that <laughs> yes, yeah i thought that was awful it's the same thing as in every vampire movie you know yeah it is, but yeah, I mean, like Twilight and whatnot. 
There's no consent there. There's no consent. <laughs> well, yeah, well, yeah, there's no consent there. It's really awkward to watch as an adult. There's no way to legally prove that you're 60 years old either. He looks 12. No, no, so. I'm talking about like Peter with with granddaughter, uh, whatever. Exactly. Well, no, oh, yeah, no, yeah, he's yeah, yeah. he's old. He's you know he's lived a Actually, long time. He he's technically says, old. He says uh, at some point in the movie that he was 13 when he met Moira. Like I like I said, he saw her and he hit puberty right on the spot. <laughs> he's like, but, but she never gave consent. I think I'll stick around. A she while. wasn't even awake. Well. <laughs> <laughs> so it gets creepier, basically. That's what I'm saying. Grandma Wendy, you're so too old, but your creepier. granddaughter's just right. <laughs> yikes. Oh, yes, oh that, that, God, yikes. Well, it's not romantic. We it's yeah, continued so, down this road. I, I so guess the other the thing was, I, I think Pan I remember it as a, as a kid. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was going to say, the, pi- the pirate town also has prostitutes, which I think I remember as a kid, but now you're like, all right, yep, got it. Pirates and prostitutes, yep. just like they were giving Pirates it up for some doubloons and pieces of eight. That's what they were there for. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I want a piece of that for this piece of eight. <laughs> piece of that for a piece of eight. That was At the slogan on the sign. It was in Pirates, <laughs> though. You couldn't see it. Um, so, yeah, like Mike said, this movie is called Hook for a reason. They hook you in with all the sexual premises. No, it's because the, the main... Well, you know, not, he's, you know... He's not the main character, but... I don't know. He's, he's got he's he feels a lot more interesting than to me than the than than Robin Williams's Pan or you know at least Peter Bannigan. You know, I I like the idea that Captain Hook is the main character of this movie, but it doesn't quite hold up just because I mean the movie follows Peter through the entirety of its running time, and you only get to Captain Hook at about what minute forty. Something like that. Oh, yeah. it. So, yeah, it takes 35 minutes just to get to Neverland. And, boy, does that feel... That's where the movie really felt like it started dragging on. Well, that's probably the part of the movie, right? Like, Mike, when you were a kid, that's probably the part of the movie where you thought the movie actually started. Oh, good, all that tender bullshit is over, and now they're going to go have some <laughs> Neverland adventures, right? Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. I mean, but... But I thought that the first part of the movie was very appealing as an adult now, and I'm sure a lot of adults groaned when they're like, oh, great, they're basically going to freaking, uh, you know, the Wizard of Oz land now to have a bunch of, you know, vibrant colored adventures. There, there are definitely pieces in it that feel essential to the character development. Movies just don't have this kind of pacing anymore. It's not that the movie was actually over long. You know what I mean? It's... It really is a slow climbing of that uh, dramatic mountain, you know? It covers mm-hmm. a lot of material. I did expect it to, when I saw that it was two and a half hours, I was expecting some horribly outdated pacing, but it didn't feel as long as I thought it would. It still felt long, don't get me wrong. And even by today's standards, today's epic movie standards, this is getting up there for sure. Mm-hmm. It, it just didn't seem like it would be able to hold a child's interest for the entire, you know, running length, basically. No, and it does feel like there are almost strategically placed scenes in parts of the movie that are that would keep the attention of a child, you know, bashing clocks in the baseball game with the pirates uh, kind right. of right around the middle there, a little maybe a little bit right after that. And it's it's weird to see the development with with the jack character the the son and you kind of 
his daughter, I think Maggie, uh, just kind of falls off after she doesn't get on board with the whole, you know, Captain Hook is the good guy uh, shtick. Yeah, it's after she gets terribly distraught for getting an F in in uh, Mommy and Daddy Hate You class. <laughs> it's just like, she, I thought that was really comical. She's like, what, an F, what? Well, if you if, if you look at the, the uh, character arc of, of Jack, it's exactly what Peter had asked him to do in the airplane. It's like, why don't you just grow up with James Hook, basically... Uh, Jack gets to fulfill those fantasies he has of, uh, you know, having a dad who's there for him. And then he ends up um, sort of growing into uh, James Hook growing up, you know? Oh, yeah. Up up all the way to the point where he's, you know, he's essentially got the same look going. The jacket, same, the, same uh, wig, the wig. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think he's curled his only his two hook. mustache hairs, maybe. Yeah, right. We're, we're early. <laughs> and we're earlier in the movie. Uh, also, um, Jack, you know, tell tells his dad, I don't, don't exactly remember the words, to, you know, have a little fun. You know, it's just a joke and, and stuff like that. So, you know, they, they pretty much um, set them on that path from the very beginning of the movie. Oh, so I was at that whole idea of that, you know, he's acting like a child, but he has to point out to his father that he is, in fact, a child. Yeah, that's right. true. That's true. Although right. you really shouldn't throw baseballs at the emergency equipment in an airplane, you will end up in Guantanamo. It's always funny to see what yes. you could get away with pre-9-11 in an airplane or an airport <laughs> or whatever, you know. Side note, the uh, the voice of the captain in the airplane is actually also um, Dustin. It's Dustin Hoffman's voice. Nice. Hey, you know, yeah. the Captain Hook actor typically plays a number of different parts. Actually, historically, the Captain Hook actor plays the father, the mean old father of uh, Wendy and Michael and John, typically. Mm. So, whatever. It is what it is. But Hook, yeah. Um, like you said, father figure to Peter's son. Um, an act at first, but maybe begins to feel more genuine. I mean... This movie's called Hook, and while it's hard to argue that Hook is the main character, he's definitely got some protagonist features to him. I mean, he's a he's a sympathetic character. He's self-described as evil, but he's a he's a pretty safe brand of evil. Honestly, he's more of a he's more of a not nice, you know. It's it's your lawful evil, right? Like he's, they he's, they have well, a set of standards, but at the same time, yeah, they, what they do for a living isn't necessarily good they're pirates right well you know it, it's like he's he's self-stated as evil in the way that you know like a kid thinks darth vader is really cool but he'd still help an old lady across the street that kind of thing you know mm-hmm. are they truly evil at heart probably not but um the boo box yeah i'm the boo box the boo box it's the just going box. to hurt a little you're not going to die oh, well maybe you'll die if you have an allergy but you probably won't uh it depends Glenn on the close apparently yeah um, <laughs> so wow that's that makes it even worse um but he, um, he definitely has like a sense of honor that is you can respect as a, you know, a movie goer which he's happy to throw away when his nemesis peter pan comes you know about comes a call <laughs> in to have a sword fight well i mean in the beginning of the movie he's willing to you know le- you know let him train to become the man he wa- or the boy he once was because he's just so dissatisfied with what he's become. But that is because 
as foretold in our intro today, that was supposed to be his, you know, ending on a high note uh, thing. But if some fat, pudgy lawyer shows up and you're supposed to run him through with a sword and have people applaud, I mean, that's so hollow. He wanted him to, you know, give him a chance to get back to his his old ways, his old, you know, fighting shape, you know, when he was actually an adversary. Hook is interesting because he gives this rousing speech at the beginning of how he wants to, you know, rip his disgusting liver out and all that (laughs) stuff. But then Peter actually shows up and he's like he greets him like an old friend. He's like, Peter Pan, put her there, brother. Hey, you got a little fat. Hey, you can't still fight, can you? (laughs) You can't? <laughs> oh, I'm so depressed. This was supposed to be a big deal. This was supposed to be it's like the so pay-per-view bad event that of the season. He wants to kill himself. Right, yeah, he's like, this is depressing. This is, you know, I've looked forward to this fight with a complete loser for so long that, you know, like, I don't know. It's interesting because Hook's also a lot like Peter, well, he's like Peter Banning would like to be. He's already at the top. He's, you know, he was, he's climbed the power ladder and there's nowhere left for him to go. So he's just like, huh? I mean, I could just blow my brains out, I guess. I don't know what else. He alludes to the point that like, he's just so tired of fighting the lost boys and Indians and all that, that his life doesn't have any meaning without the man that once was Pan. Right. The man, Pan. Pan the man. Pan the man. But he feels like, he feels like he's superior to everything else basically it's just this one last adversary who bested him once upon a time that he needs to show him his lesson but it almost comes off like he's it's an act like he's not really like that he's just putting it on for all the other pirates oh right oh it's so absolutely he goes behind closed doors and he's just like you know chain smoking cigars and like you know (laughs) the most insecure thing ever yeah. Yeah, two at once, two at once. Oh, the only person he shares that with is Smee, which I love the Smee and Captain Hook relationship in this movie. Yeah. I mean, it's at mm. first it's a little questionable. The dictator with the, you know, incredible public ego that just shrivels as soon as he closes the cabin door. It's so it's so his image is so important to himself that he has to have a wig because he's gone through so much balding right yeah he has impeccable style and and hygiene and all that that kind of thing Mm -hmm. but it kind of just dresses up the hollowness (laughs) of his existence although to be quite frank if i had a mustache half that good uh i would just be at cloud nine all the time it's it would be pretty solid perfect 11 yeah Yeah, real fake i don't even know the uh, eyebrows yeah, exactly. Of course, we know that both are full of Smee's earwax because uh, we see that on oh, screen. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like, you're doing it wrong. But, yeah, yuck. So, here's a question for you guys. Is James Hook, was that his name before the crocodile bit his hand off and he needed a hook? Or is that just his, like, stage name? I think I think it was one of those things where the crocodile bit it off and he adopted the name because that's what pirates do. Right. You got, like, One-Eyed Willie and stuff like that. It would have been too convenient for his name to have already been uh, Hook. What about this? Is, uh, is Smee shouting Good Morning Neverland into a megaphone a tribute to Robin Williams' Good Morning Vietnam? I think so. There are a lot of homages in this movie, so that that is 
absolutely top on the list for for some of them most noticeable anyway for you know i mean this was before robin williams got famous with the kitties with um the genie from aladdin i think that was the next year it was um it was the next year but i think it was the same award season for some of the award movies or uh, the right. award programs but that's really where you uh that's really where robin williams got on my radar anyway was when he was in aladdin and i'm like who is this crazy guy referencing all these even older comedians that i don't know <laughs> and that was his thing that was his thing oh my god he could do like 30 references in one minute yeah and there were really a lot of references to the original works the book that maggie smith has at the beginning where he show she shows him a picture of pan was an original print from 1911 and oh, okay they have the whole they have a lot of quotes from the original the whole dying would be a uh, very big adventure is a is a big one and then mm-hmm. of course at the end the, the philosophy goes from dying would be a very big adventure to living would be a very big adventure so right and the wendy's house is just so full of paraphernalia from neverland that you yeah. it, that you remember or at least you think you remember and that's as good as actually remembering uh let's talk about the lost boys uh i, I think we mentioned earlier you know this is like the most diverse group of like uh, lost boys that i've ever seen and it's awesome i mean i i love all the different personality types and things that they've they've got and they all have their own little quirks and and things you know uh, of i think course, that there's tubs a few that stand kid out. acted kind of weird but that's just me thud the tubs what's his name tubs the the kid who does tubs. the cannonball where he pulls his ankles around T-H-U-D. his ears thud thud that's why they keep him so big i don't know i think he was kind of a kind of a simpler kid you know he was supposed to be like the most innocent one you know i can see that yeah that's what they were going for it was kind of weird at the end where when pan's giving the sword away to you know whoever his successor is it was gonna i almost thought it was almost obviously gonna go to tubs because up until that point he was the lost boy who had the most lines other than rufio (laughs) well right right he he was definitely there for uh crowd appeal for the kids i think i I remember him being that you know he was kind of like the chunk from goonies for this movie yeah doing the truffle shuffle only he had the whatever that was the thud bulldozer or whatever thud ball that makes a heck of a lot more sense there was you know there's like like any movie with like kids and there's the stinky one there's the 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 short one there's the one kid who's wiser than the rest of them, which is the one who's like, no, it really is Peter Pan, blah, blah, you know. And mm-hmm. also the youngest, Stuff I like, think. Mm-hmm. I actually yeah, the thought the uh, sword was going to go to him. Right. He had the twins yeah. in there, too, which is actually another one of those homages to uh, the original works, because the twins were in the uh, animated one as well. Uh, you know, the, the the place that they lived is such an interesting uh, design and obviously, you know, this is extrapolating out of uh, the original sorts work, you know. But they, you know, they're they're armoring up and things like that. It was it was interesting right. the way that they eat the, the imaginary food, how that was taken from the source material and then made into, you know, the way it was, and you know, the food fights and stuff like that, which were insanely popular in the nineties. <laughs> was the fact that they were always surrounded by this weird colorful pudding uh part of the source material because i wasn't exactly sure what the deal with that was they're always eating this colorful pudding there's lakes of this colorful pudding right in the landscape it's like what is that 
Oh, I thought the the lakes was just paint. Yeah, I did. I, I like, had no uh, idea like what was going on. Yeah. But I, I, don't, hmm. I don't remember that. <laughs> I'll put it that way. <laughs> as far as the hey, you know what? It's colorful and that looks better than getting hit in the face with mashed potatoes and gravy, I guess. How did Peter actually get to the Lost Boys? This was probably the biggest, not a continuity error, but a what just happened thing for me because he fell off the plank on the pirate ship. He gets, you know, there's the mermaid makeout session, which I'm going to say was totally for the adults. And then he gets hoisted up a like 500 foot cliff by God knows what. He's in an oyster shell getting hoisted up on a vine. The mermaids aren't doing it. Uh, The Lost Boys have no idea that he's there because Tinkerbell reacts with total surprise, which implies that she was utterly crushed that he had just drowned before that she just kind of like let him go and went back to her place and fell asleep he's like oh well that that plot arc is over another day goes on in neverland yeah it's it's just weird it's just like how does he end up then in the lost boys uh treehouse i mean there's no i mean again it's a magical place but how who who's doing it who's directing the action here i don't know but but the lost boys are interesting because they do have something of a it looks it seems like they've got kind of like a viking warrior culture going i mean they've got a couple of uh flighting matches between uh peter and rufio do just insulting each other and that's kind of how they garner respect for each other uh well, I, I mean, know. Peter says it. You know, it's, you guys, you guys have a real Lord of the Flies thing going on here, and I was yeah. like, yeah, yeah, they totally do. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's exactly what they got going on. I don't know. They've got the military style training regimen, which I don't know if that would have been the most effective thing. I'm not an expert on those things, but I would think train really hard the first day, maybe sleep for two days, then go fight. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what their their plan was for three days. Right, you can't do jack shit in three days. So yeah, this is kind of, I kind of felt like a lot of this sort of uh, style of movie um, ended up like inspiring like your Harry Potters and things of the world. Um, It just felt uh, like that to me, especially considering that the Harry Potter soundtrack was uh, John Williams as well. But yeah, just the way the magic stuff happened and and just the feeling, I don't know. But it's a Spielberg, you know, Columbus different things at least early harry potters they did create a magical world i will say that with what they had at the time but absolutely it's world building it's uh a clans type of a society like hogwarts is um with different characteristics for each it's just i don't know there's sympathetic characters all across the board there's a lot of character growth you know not everybody's just an archetype basically um right I don't know. They did they did a really good job with the uh, the characters and the place, I thought. One place where I thought the movie suffered was special effects a little bit, being purely an age <laughs> thing. Are you talking about the uh, flying and the talking Tinkerbell, about the, flying, the, the whole the blue fairy screen? Dust, the, the scene yeah. with the shadow. Um, yep. Oh, yeah. Anytime there's a matte painting, I mean, that just instantly ages it, right? <laughs> Having a matte painting, that's not digital. Are you talking about uh, Robin Williams' Peter Pan looking over the lagoon and seeing the pirate ship, and it is clearly a painting? Right, exactly. Yeah. And granted, the smoke is moving over that painting or whatever, but it's still a painting. I mean, I thought it was cool that the Compass Rose is an actual geographical feature on Neverland, <laughs> but, you know, I mean... Yes. I. 
It, th- there were some problems, some technical limitations, certainly uh, in a pre-CG world, but um, I don't think that it really damaged the overall effect that the movie had. I mean, they did a they did a really good job world building. I've said it many times. They did a good job world building. The writing is good, which is not something you see every day in movies these days. Um, I don't know. They just... My disbelief was suitably s- suspended, I think. That's right. I, I suspended my disbelief, too, which in my curmudgeonly old age is a exception rather than the rule. The music was very good. I mean, we haven't really talked other than a couple mentions about that. Um, obviously, you know, John Williams. So this is our link between our previous two episodes and, and this. Right. Um, yep. I remembered the theme song like when I when, before I watched Hook, my brain just started playing the theme song in it before I even pressed you know, play. And I, I was like, gosh, you know, it's another one of those John Williams theme songs that just gets in your head. This one does feel very close to the Harry Potter theme though. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can tell a John Williams theme when you hear it. And I think there's probably only so many ways you can write a movie theme, especially if you're sticking to a, a recognizable style. But I mean, I didn't remember this movie theme, but when I heard it, I was like, yeah, it's probably John Williams, I would have to guess. That and the fact that it's a Spielberg <laughs> flick. I would have to guess it's John Williams. Honestly, though, for me, the movie, or the the music didn't really uh, stand out as much as I, I had expected, knowing it was John Williams. And he was, while he was uh, nominated for a Grammy, he actually did not win for the score in this movie. Uh, well, it, which it, which other know. movie with a John v- Williams soundtrack came out that year that he did win for? Actually, there were five. Th- this movie was nominated for five Oscars, and it did. Uh, I don't believe it won any. Uh, Actually, it may have gotten best production design. No, no, no. Lost that one. Lost Damn. best costume design. Lost best visual effects. Lost best makeup. Lost best original song. What yeah. the hell movies were beating this movie? Ah, good question. Bugsy and Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Well, I never saw Bugsy. I don't I, I haven't seen Bugsy either, but Terminator 2 Judgment Day won for both best visual effects and for best makeup and best original song lost to Beauty and the Beast. Ah. Uh, no, that makes sense. It all makes sense, honestly. I mean, T2 was a pretty darn good movie, especially visually. Absolutely. It's probably time for us to uh, take a break and then come back for the verdict. Don't touch that dial. All right, so now is the moment that you've all been waiting for. The time where we decide if the movie Hook is sacred. Bovonis Sanctorum. Or if it should be put out to pasture. Bovinus excommunicado. Oh, that's great. Okay. I'm just trying accents. Come on. So, uh, I think... Let's go with Matt first. All right. So, Hook. Hook, Hook, Hook. What do we say about you? I'm going to be honest, guys. I'm going to go ahead and say that this movie is not sacred. Um, There are definitely a lot of good things to say about the movie. A lot of good set pieces. Uh, certainly some good uh, dialogue and while it has a great cast there's a lot of a lot of this that I could not suspend my disbelief for and you know as a kid I may have really liked it and I think it's a good family movie it just wasn't 
It wasn't what I remember it as. Okay, Peter Ooh. Banning. Um, <laughs> corporate lawyer extraordinaire. Uh, I'm, I guess I will uh, go next. I would consider this movie to be what I usually think of as definitely sacred. Um, like I said before, I, I thought... Oh, you know, I like this as a kid. I was an idiot as a kid, so granted this movie is idiotic. Here's what I liked about the movie and what I found surprising. It was very touching. It had, I don't know what my hormones were like today while I was watching it, but it was definitely, you know, plucking some heartstrings. It was on a level beyond, you know, good guy beats pirates to save his children type of a thing. It was just, you know, on a, on a human scale kind of very touching um i really liked the peter and hook characters i thought they were well developed um it's kind of a a level of character writing that you don't necessarily see nowadays i think and the supporting characters of rufios me and wendy uh were also very good and the kids were not annoying like so many characters that our kids are Except for the Lost Boys, they were annoying. Um, at the the Neverland, I think you know the world building. The, the they it was really well put together and fleshed out. I thought it really did have a magical quality to it, despite some of the technical limitations of the movie and the length of the movie being the big flaws. Um, I, I feel like it is a classic of the pan genre, um, and and like Mike said earlier, this could be seen as a legitimate and worthwhile uh, sequel to the original Peter Pan movie uh, with less racism. How about you, Mike? You care to break this tie for us? Oh, well, I, I, I remain unswayed. I, I kind of came in really liking it, and I left really liking it, so I'm going to say that this movie is sacred. Despite some of the flaws that it has, uh, you know, the pacing and, and things like that, I just felt like it kind of uh, did a good job of striking um, that balance that family movies have worked so hard to get that brings the adults in and brings the kids in. While the pacing might kill it now in today's like two-second attention span world, uh, probably older kids would, would get a lot out of it, and the parents aren't going to hate watching it. And it is genuinely good performances from... Um, Dustin Hoffman, Bob Hoskins, Julia Roberts, uh, great too. Um, Robin Williams, I thought it was believable that the transition between being, you know, just a power-hungry corporate jerk to, like, appreciating his family, uh, all of it, all of these performances were great. Uh, And, of course, reverence to the source material. I mean, there was all these uh, nods and things to the original novels, but the drawback... Being like, if you don't know anything about the novels, eh, well, you might have to go look something up if you're curious. But uh, overall, yeah, sacred. It was it was fun. I think if you take a character who's a kid and a, an adult back and forth, you know, switching it up like that, you do get Robin Williams. So there's that. <laughs> they they cast that very well. I thought so. The movie could have just been called Robin Williams the movie. <laughs> a journey. Yeah. Right. And there's Neverland. And maybe Michael Jackson does show up after all. Who knows? All right. So two to one. Eh, two so, to one. It's hard. It's hard, man. You know, I'm, I'm sticking to my guns, though. 
this three-person format has always been a challenge because of the potential, uh, you know, butting of heads. But it's all right. Well, I mean, that's that's why it's the, this format, though. That, that that's why it, it it is and shall remain, right? Yes, exactly. So don't be too uh, too hurt. You'll no, get them next certainly. time, kid. I'll give you this, Matthew. It's no Star Wars. Hook is no Star Wars. I will absolutely agree with that. Okay. Yes, uh, I think we all. That's a unanimous. But what is Star Wars except Star Wars? Indeed. Even some some Star Wars isn't Star Wars. All right. So uh, let's get to our final thoughts and wrap up. So that concludes our review of the 1991 movie Hook. And uh, just to let everybody know that we've decided the next movie, and it is going to be what, Matt? Labyrinth. Oh! Yes, the David Bowie spectacular Jim, Jim Henson extravaganza. And that one will drop on February 24th, two weeks from this episode, if you got it on the first day. Uh, we'd like to tell you where you can find us on, uh, on the internet and uh, in general. So to start off with, uh, you can get in touch with us on Twitter with at Sacred Cows Pod. That's at Sacred Cows Pod. We'd love to have you follow us and to just you know hear from you chit chat whatever and we'll probably uh bring any really interesting tweets and things to the uh, feedback episodes that we do every once in a while we also have an email address where you can get more long form feedback to us which is sacred cows at hero of the that's sacred cows at hero of the and we'll always read those emails, you know, unless they're particularly vulgar in a way that's too offensive to Pete. In which case, I will read them twice. <laughs> Fan fiction is always appreciated. Oh, yeah. Except for that. Except for the kind you're thinking of right now. Not that. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, uh, finally, you can also, uh, you know, please subscribe to us on iTunes if you haven't already. And then give us a five-star review you can tell us whatever you think about us in reality uh you know backhanded compliments and all that in the review itself but please give us a five-star review that helps people find us and i know there's a lot of new listeners since the star wars episodes so we would love to hear what you think and we'll read them on a feedback episode uh usually we can get a celebrity to do that um which is kind of fun indeed they they really drain our bank account so, Matt, where can they find you on the Internet? You can find me on Twitter at Matthew M. Morris. All right. And Pete? Second star to the left, straight on till morning. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, and, of course, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at White Morph. So, guys, uh, any last words? May the force uh, be with you. Uh, TikTok goes <laughs> the clock. Oh, and the crock, apparently. <laughs> to live would be a very big adventure indeed. There's the one uh, we ended on. We'll go with All that. All right. Good night, everybody. So long. I love you. I love you. Bye-bye.